Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the show. This is Missing the Point with Miles David, and I am your host. Thank you for tuning back in. As I always say, this is your first time listening. Welcome on into the show. If you are a returning listener, I'm glad to have you back. And today's episode, as I have teased in prior episodes, we have a really, really fun, special show today for you guys here with me joining in on today's very special episode is john garica host of fantastic tennis the ultimate tennis fan podcast i'm so happy that john and i could collaborate and talk all about the incredible 2021 tennis season when it comes to talking tennis very few are as energetic knowledgeable and just outright fun as john is i'm so glad again that we could get him on the show and i could collaborate with him to get all the things in 2021 talked about in a fun and a fantastic manner, honestly. And also to help us get through what a incredible 2021 tennis season this was, John and I enlisted a couple of other major tennis fans, Jonah and Sloan. They are fans and listeners, and they joined us for a friendly game of Tennis Pod Feud. I cannot wait for you guys to listen, join in, and love this episode as much as I love listening to it. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and get into our recap of the 2021 tennis season from beginning to end and all the fun things in between. Enjoy, guys. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I mean, they always have a big mouth. They always talk a lot. So it happened before. It's going to happen again. Hello, tennis friends. I'm John Garica, and I can't believe we've made it through another tennis season. Today, we have a really fun episode that we've never done before. Because not only is it our very first year-end review recap special, but there was so much tennis magic to comb through from this past season that Fantastic Tennis has joined Tennis Forces with the Missing the Points with Miles David Tennis Podcast. And today, we bring you a joint year-end special. So let's welcome, it's my friend, Miles David. Miles, welcome to Fantastic Tennis. Hi. No one can actually see this, but I'm smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. We've been talking about this for a long time, so I'm glad we finally get to do this. It's perfect because there's so much to talk about. I couldn't do it by myself. Yeah, it's a lot to comb through, like you said, and I am excited to get my comb out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad that you'll be my doubles partner today. Do you play the ad side or the deuce side? I am a ad sider. My four Forehand does its best forehanding on that side, in my mind. Perfect, because I play the do side and I'm a lefty. There's not going to be a single ball that gets past us, <laughs> that's for sure. Or a simple topic, hopefully, not a single topic. All right, well, let's talk about your show for a minute because I'm such a huge fan and I'm really glad we get to collab today. If you haven't heard Miles's podcast, everyone go out, like, subscribe, follow. I just, I'm really glad that I have someone like you that knows what they're talking about to join me today. So especially on an insane season. So really glad you're here today. And the same goes for your podcast. I mean, when I came across it, I couldn't think of anything better to listen to on like a long drive. And that's how I've gotten through all of my drives over the past year or so. It's fantastic tennis. But like you said, it feels good to know that I'm talking to someone that knows their tennis is like a historian in their own right. And I appreciate the compliments. I'm glad that you listen. Sometimes I feel like I'm putting all of my tennis tidbits out in the air and like, who's listening? So it's nice to hear yeah. that someone actually listens. <laughs> I'm glad I get to join you on your drive. That's all. That's all I'm happy about. 
So we have a lot to talk about today and to help us get through this past year, we've enlisted a couple of friends of ours that are huge tennis fans to join us. And we're going to talk through this crazy, crazy tennis year. Please welcome in John Sloan from my neck of the woods, New Orleans, Louisiana, and Jonah Sobel from Scottsdale, Arizona. Hey, honor to be here. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so good to see you guys again. It's really going to be fun today. All right. I know the four of us can't wait to talk about this year. But before then, we put together a fun round of tennis podcast feud that we're going to play to help us navigate through this year. Before we jump into the game, we're recording right in the middle of the finals in Guadalajara. The finals hasn't even played yet, right? I think just the ladies doubles. Might be stretching and warming up as we speak. (laughs) Maybe they'll have some live commentary. Who knows? All right. We'll have to check the scores. I'd love to hear everyone's take on Guadalajara. Miles, your first time on the show today, I'm going to give you the floor. Let's start with you. What were your thoughts on this year's WTA finals? I love that the court is pink. (laughs) It feels like it's like the best WTA moment they ever could have thought of. To say that everybody was like really nervous about the altitude of it being so high up in Guadalajara, the tennis hasn't been bad. The fans have shown up by like droves and that there's been really, really good interaction between the fans and the players. And I have to just end by saying this. I feel like I've single-handedly willed Annette Contevit into the top 10 and into this dramatic end of the season she's having because on a prior show of mine, someone asked to make up my top 10 and she was number 10 and look where she is now. So I feel like we're in it together. What an amazing year for her, right? Sloan, what do you think? I mean, there's been so much talk about this finals being all the newbies. You had Paula Badosa and Iga and obviously like Contevit. These are all first timers kind of mingled in with, you know, the Garbines of the world. What were your thoughts on the WTA finals? It was fun. I was a little little heartbroken that Ons didn't make it in, to be honest with you. Uh, To be honest, Ons. Ons (laughs) isness. I liked it. Uh, But then Annette just kind of has taken the last quarter of the year by the throat. Good for her. I hope she does win it all. We need some uh, exciting uh, stuff up at the top. I like it. Guys, from the U.S. Open, Kontavit, she won Ostrava. She beat Kirstea, Badosa, Bencic, Kvitova, Sakari to win Ostrava. Then she beat Andreescu in Dean Wells. Muguruza in Moscow, one and one, if we remember that. And Halep in Transylvania, you, you beat Halep in Romania. I mean, you're flexing, right? You're flexing. Then Krychikova, Pliskova. I mean, honestly. She's won my heart. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Jonah, what are your thoughts on Guadalajara? Yeah, it's been an incredible tournament. The crowds have been truly remarkable. I've never heard Sabalenka's name chanted before, to be honest, at a crowd. <laughs> and to hear that and to hear her reactions from it too has been remarkable. I think seeing the players that have shown more success, like uh, Garbine, as well as Contivate, they're, they're power players that love to hit the ball really hard. I think going back to Contivate's year, it's incredible how since her coaching change, she's won Cleveland, has had a run in U.S. Open, has won Ostrava, has won Moscow, has won Cluj, and is now in the WTA Finals, but has been truly inspiring to see someone have a complete turn of their entire career yeah. in just three months. I think it's remarkable. But if you're going to say Cluj, which sounds really fun, I prefer that you say the Transylvania Open because it sounds so much more fun when you say it that way. Agreed. (laughs) I love a Halloween final. Oh, boy. All right. We have to talk about the boys real quick because the guys are also playing. Obviously, we saw Novak Djokovic. He beat Rude today. That was pretty much a given. He's going to be in the semifinals. Medvedev's already there. He had that big 7-6 in the third win against Zverev the other day. I mean, Novak, odds on favorite? 
Yeah, I mean, I wish I liked him more. <laughs> Same. <laughs> because he really is making history. It's incredible what he's doing. Yep. I mean, for me, he's undisputed best of all time. Yeah. We're going to talk about Novak today. He's so polarizing, right, guys? I mean, you hit it on the nose. We're going to definitely get into Novak's here as well. Did you see Berrettini and Sitsipas too? Did you see they withdrew? Come on. What's going on? Yeah, I saw that Berrettini withdrew and he's, you know, he's my favorite. For a couple of reasons, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I hate that he got hurt. Yeah. Miles, you had some feelings about Turin as well. What were your feelings? I just quite don't understand why they basically bottled up the ATP finals in London and just shifted it to Turin in Italy. Like part of the fun thing in tennis is to see different arenas and what the vibes are, especially in the indoor season, because there's so much different things you can do with lighting and, and court and stuff like that. They literally just press control, copy, paste from London to Turin. And now we're just supposed to be like, yay, new city when it looks the exact same. So, I mean, that I would definitely, it knocks off some cool points for me for that. I thought they would be a little bit more original. Yeah, I think it's about the money, right? Always about the money. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Yeah. Italy looks amazing. I think the boys in like their pre- tournament like zhuzh up like outside of their original like sweats and stuff they look nice in their oh yeah no they brought the turtlenecks like mock turtlenecks and stuff for sure veratini did look great (laughs) veratini looked great hubie hercast everybody looked pretty good we have so much to talk about let's get into our game Today's game is all about tennis. We've randomly selected doubles partners today. Miles and Sloan are going to represent team missing the point. Joda and myself will be team fantastic today. And I think we've all seen Family Feud, right? We know the concept a little bit. But as a refresh, I surveyed 100 major tennis fans through Instagram and my very favorite message board, Tennis Forum. And we have the top 10 answers on the board. We're going to alternate going back and forth until we reveal all topics and declare an ultimate podcast champion today. (laughs) Also, Miles and I have sprinkled in a few awards that we're going to be giving out in honor of this past year. So stay tuned for that as well. It's going to be fun. All right. To see which team goes first, we're going to play a mini game. And today's mini game is called Tennis Math. And it's going to be Sloan versus Jonah in this little mini game. I'm going to ask you to write down a number on a piece of paper. And everyone listening at home, please follow along too, at least in your heads. And the person who gets the closest will win the right to pick the first category today. So, okay, you guys ready? All right, let's do this. Yes. I want you to add the career high ranking of Elena Rybakina plus the current ranking of Roger Federer and subtract the number of letters in the last name Pavlyuchenkova. What number do you get? That's evil. I know I'm evil. Miles, do you like Rabakina or Rabakina? I like Rabakina. I think Lindsay Davenport says it like that. She and does. Whatever she says, it's kind of golden. Lindsay was on the show and she said Rabakina. And I was like, okay, I won't say Rabakina ever again. It's Rabakina. <laughs> I'm such a Rabakinator, by the yeah, way. She's Queen Lindsay, so she cool. wins. It's yeah. Rabakina. <laughs> All right, guys. Do we have a number? We're going to have a reveal. Jonah, what's your number? Number is 12. Sloan, what's your number? 84. <laughs> 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 Today's winner. Well, thank goodness. Team Fantastic. There we go. All right. Let's do Jonah. Rabakina's career high ranking is 14. And Roger's ranking right now is 16. I thought it was like in the 80s. No, that's his age. <laughs> no. Can you believe he's still in the top 20? Like, geez. I believe it. And honestly, he'll be in the top 20 at 82. So yeah. it's fine. If he wants he's to play till 80, he's going to be. He's fine. And then Pavlyuchenkova 
has 14 letters in her last name. So we're, we're down to 16. There we go. That's how we do tennis math today. <laughs> so we have the top 10 answers on the board today. Our topic, what were the top 10 biggest stories from the 2021 season? Jonah, we're going to start with you. What do we think? I, I think Naomi Osaka's withdrawal from the French Open is, of course, the main topic of the year for me. Let's see if it's on the board. Ooh. It is on the board, Naomi and her struggles for sure. All right, guys, we have to talk about this. Jonah, let's start with you. Take us through Naomi Osaka Gates 2021. Yeah, so it, it really all started, in my opinion, after her loss to Jesse Pagula in Rome. You could kind of tell after her press conference that Naomi was just not in a headspace that showed that you know she was enjoying her time on the tennis court. And that she was relying a lot on her wins. And then by the time the French Open came up, she was pretty clear that she did not want to speak to the press. She had released a statement saying that she was not going to do press conferences. And that's just the way how she really wanted it to go. And, you know, she is a tennis player. She, of course, people are going to say that she has obligations, but she wanted to release a statement outlining her boundaries. It was something I, as a fan, completely respected. Unfortunately, it came to a point where it seemed as though a lot of the Grand Slams were not super supportive of Naomi outlining her boundaries. And unfortunately, it it came to a standpoint where Naomi felt like the only choice she had was to withdraw. Yeah. The statement was just out of left field, really, because we've never seen it before. She posted on her Instagram, then she later deleted it, said, I'm writing to say I'm not doing press during Roland Garros. I've often felt that people have no regard for athletes' mental health, and this rings true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one. And just as you said, the Grand Slams came out with a statement. They fined her $15,000 immediately. So obviously there was discord. Sloan, what was your take on Naomi? When you heard she wasn't going to do press in Roland Garros, what are your thoughts as a tennis fan? Uh, I was disappointed. I don't think anybody is mentally equipped to handle the entire world knowing who you are and having an opinion about you. I I don't think just the human mind can handle it. And so uh, I didn't fault her for a second. I felt incredibly sorry for her because on top of all of that, you have pressure from so many different countries and sponsors. And and I can't imagine what that feels like. And I I was kind of heartbroken for her, but uh, on periphery, I could kind of understand. I, I hated it. Yeah. Miles, I know you're a big Naomi Osaka fan too. I've listened to your show. Uh, What were your thoughts on the mental health of Naomi? Obviously after, I think it was after Australian Open, you know, she beats seven tough opponents. She beat Muguruza, Serena, Jabor, Pavluchenkova, Jen Brady in the final. So she's having a fantastic start to the year and she won eight matches the rest of the year. You know, to start the year, you win a Grand Slam, you're on top of the world, eight matches. I mean- wow. When you put it in numbers like that, I didn't think it was such a, a stark, I don't want to use the word decline, but it is a stark difference from winning the Australian Open to winning eight more matches the rest of the season. And when you put it like that, I think maybe not the root of the issue, but I definitely think it was a culmination of things. Her frustration in knowing that she had probably just played some of the best tennis of her career to kind of, not that she needed more uh, cementation of being a great player, but four Grand Slams, 
you are a, above and beyond a lot of your peers. So that that happened. And then she goes to the clay and she just still doesn't really know how to translate her game to that court surface. And I think that welled up a whole bunch of frustration in her. And then for her to say that she's been suffering from anxiety and depression since the whole debacle with Serena. And on top of that, being a pretty shy and kind of introverted girl, I think that frustration might have just been the thing that kind of toppled everything over. Like, why can I not be as good as I want mm. to be on clay as I am on the hardcore surface? And she kind of, I, I completely was on her side. Maybe the rollout of her feelings could have been dissected or kind of implemented a different way. But I definitely felt for her, especially when you think about the fact that if you listen to her documentary, she kind of just wanted to play tennis so she wouldn't be poor. Like she just kind of put it in layman's terms that way. And the extra pressures that like John Sloan was talking about, they can become crippling. So I just hope that she finds a nice way to balance all the things that are now on her plate, being as profitable as her brand is and how noticeable of a, of a person she is. I really hope she finds some way to, to juggle it all because it's doable, but she just has to find a way to do it. I think. No, I agree. And you know, you said it yourself. I mean, she's, She's in the media. She's we see her everywhere at this point, right? So the four of us are definitely Team Naomi. I mean, that goes without saying for sure. But there's a lot of people who are gonna say, and especially there's some people listening too, and it's okay. They're gonna say, Well, why is she hosting the Met Gala? Why is she, you know, uh, holding the torch at the Olympics? And why does she have a Netflix documentary? And you know, why isn't she more focused on the tennis? But you know, this is her journey, this is her life, and she was very open and vulnerable with the world. And she changed a lot of, you know, she changed a lot of people that were out there thinking, oh my gosh, I'm in this alone. And you know, they have Naomi Osaka as a as a beacon, really, for for mental health, I think that's fantastic. So, I don't know. I don't know where we go. I mean, Jonah, what do you think to start the year? You know, she's defending a title now. We haven't seen her at yeah. all, and now we get the pressure of Australia, where she's defending a title. I mean, where where do we start the year with Naomi Osaka? You know, I, I still think that Naomi did not have the worst year in 2021 when it comes to results. Yes, after having to withdraw from the French Open, she didn't play Wimbledon, so didn't get any points there. Lost to the eventual runner-up at the Olympics, the eventual runner-up at Cincinnati, and the eventual runner-up at the U.S. Open. So each loss that she had, she had chances. And I think that there's a lot of confidence that she can still keep on to going into next year. Well, uh, I think whatever happens to Naomi, I know we want to see her at the top again. We we want that rivalry. I'd love to see Barty Osaka become you know a great rivalry in 2022. I mean, I think that would be great for tennis. I mean, obviously we'd want Serena again, Sloan, right? Or you want Sloan Stevens or, you know, whoever. Yeah. <laughs> Can you please get like Serena and seven more wins at one tournament? That'd be wonderful. <laughs> Just, no. yeah, well, it was a topic of discussion and mental health for sure was a topic in sports in general. Simone Biles, there were NBA stars that came out and talked a lot about depression and anxiety too. So I think this is going to be a big topic as well. I loved Miles. Did you see what they did in Guadalajara too? Iga came, Iga Sviatek, she came out with uh, an alternative kind of press conference. And I thought that was so ingenious because it was after her match, after her loss, she came out and she gave a, a statement, a few statement pieces for the press. And it wasn't a sit down kind of standard traditional press conference, but she said, Hey, here's my statement. It went to the press. That's what was published and we're done. You know, I'm finished. So, and she said some things she said, you know, Hey, I had PMS too, you know? So, and she's dealing with her own thing. So I, I love this whole new era of vulnerability and talking the truth, right? Speaking the truth. Saying what's really on your mind and being aware and self-aware enough to know that, hey, today is really not a good day or that loss affected me in such a 
way where I really don't want to talk to the public right now. And at least having the option to kind of press the eject button sometimes. I think as humans, we can all relate to just being a little overwhelmed, especially when you have hundreds of thousands of people looking at you chase a tiny ball and they expect so much out of you. Some days you just don't want to talk to the entire public as a whole so they can scrutinize your every little word. So just having an option to be like, you know what, this is my sick day or something to the effect that Naomi Osaka wanted to kind of implement is a healthy option. Instead of having, even though Ego was brave to say that she had PMS, she shouldn't have had to say, hey, this is why I chose to do this. Please just respect the fact that I don't want to talk today because you guys get me every other tournament. So why not give me a little break? Why do you think so many people listed Naomi as their top tennis story of the year? I think it's because of who she represents. Because she represents such a like a a wide amount of people just by her race, by her being a woman and her being a, a younger woman at that, like the Generation Z, I think I'm I'm aging myself a little bit. I think that's what they call themselves. She kind of is a spokesperson for them. And they are the ones that are really having to deal with life kind of not being the way it used to be, especially in the middle of a pandemic. So for her to be the person to kind of come out and say, hey, guys, this whole fame thing is definitely something that I'm struggling with or have to find a balance for. It just made her, in my opinion, I know other people have different perspectives on it. It made her even more relatable. And she was always kind of like a little sister in a way. It made her even look more like that. Like, hey, she's a normal human human being, too. So let's protect her. I think ostensibly women's tennis is probably the world's favorite sport for female athletes, right? And so you already have that spotlight on it the way it is. And then Mm -hmm. like Miles said, she checks off so many boxes for so many people. So everybody's glued to what she says and she's pretty outspoken on Twitter and other platforms as well. So I think people just really pay attention to her and want to know what she has to say. Well, Naomi Osaka, number one this year on tennis radars for fans. So let's Let's keep going. But before we do, we're going to jump into our first two awards today. And Miles and I are going to give out awards throughout the show today for our year in review for 2021. We're going to start with best on-court trend. Sloan and Jonah, I'd love to know your thoughts on our awards this year. And if you have your own, Miles, we'll start with you. What was your best on-court trend this year? I love the implementation of Hawkeye Live. I love the fact that we are prioritizing accuracy of line calls although it makes for a little less drama because i've heard that argument that you know we kind of missed the arguments between the chair empire line empire and the player i like the fact that we can just kind of get to the good points of it all and just know this ball was out this ball was in and there's such a small amount of error that you kind of just have to accept it because who wants to be the you look a little crazy i should say like being mad at the computer because what are you going to do So I liked it. It was a, it's, it's a nice change. It keeps things going. I know that's what makes me not like it. It's because I miss this crazy outburst and fighting. (laughs) Get out of here. Get it out. I went to many matches this year. There are still players that were still challenging Hawkeye. And I thought it was hilarious because you know, you don't, (laughs) you know, you're not going to see At least you get dead drama. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was fun for a second, but I mean, it, you're never going to beat Cyclops. You're never going to beat Hawkeye. I mean, what, what are you doing? So it's fun. It was fun, I guess. Whatever. We'll see. Well, I'm giving mine to my favorite on-court trend this year was dinosaur cartoon heads during matches. Sue Shea is just a gem and a star. And I thought, I want more of this. I want more animation. I was so excited when she made the quarters of Australia this year, which it seems like forever ago. And do you remember Sue Shea made the quarters of the Australian Open? I completely forgot that. 
<laughs> but yeah, I love that. Indian Wells, you know, Sue giving her press conference with a big old cartoon plush dinosaur head. That's that's my favorite on-court trend. Miles, the worst on-court trend this year. What's your award for worst on-court trend? I really, really, really don't like when both competitors are wearing the same exact kit. Maybe from head to toe makes me even want to come through the screen and be like, there's nothing else you could have put on when you're playing somebody across the court from you, mano y mano. You have to wear the exact same thing. Like it's one of those pet peeves of mine. I saw it a lot this year, especially like at the US Open. The kits were cool, but they were wearing the exact same thing. Come on. Doesn't it seem like a video game, right? When they're both in the same thing. It's just like they just seem animated, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. It's fine. Right? Jonah, do you care? I always hate it when the two players are, have like the same hair color and then have to have the same outfit and have to play each other because oh. then it's just can be a slightly confusing. That being said, I would say <laughs> my least favorite on-court trend were inopportune bathroom breaks. <laughs> I think that not to get super shady, but it felt like there were so many this year where players were finding ways to strategically take timeouts. Am I wrong with that? I don't know. Ex Kartikova. Oof. I mean, I was at that match. I'm going to defend her and that I know there's a lot of people listening. I was I was one foot distance of that match and she was sick as a dog. Just FYI. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. As a fan who was right there watching, I know there was a lot of bad rap and I saw it. Twitter exploded afterwards, but she was dizzy. I was right next to her coach and she kept talking about how dizzy she was and how horrible she felt. And she could have just said whatever she wanted or given some kind of sign that like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to take a bathroom break. But she was literally saying I'm going to pass out here. So anyway, just saying. It's definitely been a conversation this year. The whole bath, like at least from Wimbledon on taking medical timeouts and bathroom breaks and stuff has definitely been a kind of a hot topic. Even in the Dubai final this year against Muguruza. Yeah. That's why Muguru thinks she's so unprofessional. So unprofessional. (laughs) I wasn't in Dubai. I was not in Dubai. So I can't speak to that. John, I want to know your thoughts on my worst on-court trend this year. My worst on-court trend, I'm giving this to Fabio Fognini and his homophobic on-court slurs. That is the worst on-court trend for sure. He did it at the Olympics. He apologized and he showed up in Toronto in full regalia, in rainbow regalia. And, you know, I was expecting a unicorn tennis bag or something too, but, you know, it wasn't cool. I think there was a lot of turnoff when you're just arbitrarily using the F word or whatever word you want to use. But what were your thoughts? Oh, thank you. Fabio, thank you so much. We really needed that from you. God. <laughs> I know. The wristbands really were perfect, you know? Just can't get better than wristbands. I know. Thanks for wearing the rainbow headband. <laughs> you take it all back. You're our hero. If you go on YouTube and watch some meltdowns of his in Italian, he says the most insane stuff on court. Just after you're done with this... If you're done listening, go look it up. It's insane. I don't know how he still plays without getting fined outrageously. All right. On that note, let's go on to two. Sloan, you get the next category. What is on the board? What are we thinking? There's nine more topics to talk about today. What are we going to go with? I am going to go with Krajikova winning the French Open. It's a good one. Okay, new top players on the ATP and WTA Tour and teenagers. All right, we're going to go with that. Let's talk about it. Because, yeah, there were a lot of new players and Krajikova winning the French Open solidified her as a top player. She's finished at number five this year. I mean, she is 
in the new era of WTA players that we were not expecting at the start of the season. So let's talk about the French. What were your thoughts on this year's French? Previous comments about her aside, I think to me, she played with a lot of integrity and in all of her press conferences. She always is, seems very humble and congratulatory of whoever she played against and seemed ultimately very professional. Uh, I liked her tout of Novotna and just her game was so fluid and pretty, just kind of flawless in my opinion. I, I loved when she won. Minus her one against Sloan, but... Oh, that was a beatdown too. Darn it. Sloan was awesome. <laughs> I mean, this topic was very broad. Obviously, there were so many that we could have listed and they I kind of clumped them all together because, Tons. guys, there were so many new players that we were talking about last year and on the ATP and the WTA side. So I'd love to talk about it and especially the teenagers and Layla Fernandez. I mean, the, Clara Tossin. There's so many that I want to talk about right now, but... Yeah, no, let's talk about for sure. I want to break this down right now. Now, I, I do want to start with the WTA and Flavia Panetta, speaking of Fognini, she came out and she said she thought it was much easier in this era to win a big title than during her era. And I have Lisa Raymond on the show this week, and she echoes those sentiments as well. And Flavia got a lot of flack, but it's interesting when you hear from people with a resume, Grand Slam champions like a Panetta and a Raymond, when they talk about the eras that they played in versus the eras today. And Barbara Krajikova winning the French Open was out of left field. Radakanu out of left field. So it's I, I can see why they would kind of pose the question as to, is this era inferior to past eras? But um, yeah. Miles, we'll start with you. When that came out, when when you heard about that, do, what, what are your thoughts on the WTA as we are today and where we're finishing? I mean, when you really look at the numbers, Krajcikova was unseated and Raducanu was unseated and a qualifier. So when you think about them from like a statistical point of view, like those players shouldn't be winning Grand Slam. So I guess I understand more where Panetta and Raymond were coming from because that really was not happening during their era. But I kind of like the different flavor it brings to the, the whole field because it means that like at the end of the day, the player that lifts that trophy played the best over those two weeks. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be ranked top five to do so. So to me, that spells out that the list of players that can play Grand Slam level winning tennis is much broader than it used to be. So I feel like in some ways and in some perspectives, it is harder to win a Grand Slam because there's so many players that could catch fire and just play lights out tennis over two weeks compared to when it was a Steffi Graf or like a Serena dominating era where you knew that the players in the first three rounds were probably lucky to get four games. Nowadays, it's just like from the first round, you might be going three sets because people are not seated and it's a jungle out there compared to what it used to be. Jonah, we had so many names I want to talk about. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You had Badosa beating Azarenka 7-6 in the third in Indian Wells. You have Iga Sviantek winning the Italian Open against a former number one, Pliskova, Love and love, right? You have all these new players. Fernandez gets to the U.S. Open final. Sam Sonova won the German Open. You know, that's a new name that we're talking about. Coco Goff wins her, her title in Parma this year. Obviously, we've been talking about Coco for a long time. Jess Pagula, Danielle Collins, what great years that they had. We weren't really talking about them as top caliber players last year, too. Clara Tossen, top junior, and now she wins her first title in Luxembourg. Where do you think the WTA is, is heading? Are, are they in the right direction? Are we happy that there's so many clusters of names that we can talk about today? Or do you prefer the Graf, Celis, Novotna, Sanchez, Vicario days where you know they were winning titles? 
I personally love it when the WTA is open and anyone can win a title. I think it shows the depth. I think it shows how incredible it takes to be able to play in a Grand Slam, to have the belief to be a qualifier and then win all of your matches in qualifying and your main draw matches without losing a set is something that I still don't comprehend. I I truly don't understand how one truly can get the utmost confidence to win truly one of the most difficult tournaments in the world. And just to think she had lost to Clara Towson in the Chicago 125 final a couple of weeks ago and her uh, a few weeks before that yeah. couldn't finish a fourth round match against Isla Tomjanovic at Wimbledon. And it shows just how anything can happen. Sometimes you need a few weeks off and then your mindset changes and you can go into a tournament feeling some of the strongest you've ever felt. And I feel like that can happen sometimes. And it's happened this year. All right, guys, I know we're big WTA fans. Each of you think about it. Which player this year were you happiest that excelled as much as she did to be as prominent as she is now in the rankings. I'll start with Miles. Miles, what player were you so happy that did so well this year? Maybe kind of stay on trend with a newer player. I was really happy with Coco Golf, even though it wasn't like the kind of success of a Emirata Kanu. She didn't bring home a huge trophy. She did do consistently well, and a lot of her wins were against really tough competitors. She showed that she has the natural grit and athleticism by getting to the quarterfinals of the French Open. I think she's the youngest athlete to do that since Serena. So, I mean, she's in good company. There clearly is stuff to work on, but she's showing that she can, she has the kind of grit to work past it. And there's not going to be too many days where somebody gets out hustles her on the court. So I liked her, her methodical rise, I guess, through the rankings. It's good. It's coming. It's coming up. Yeah. Uh, I really dig on a lot. I just think she brings something different and I like what she's doing uh, for her country, for all of Africa. Frankly, I think she's bringing so much attention to the sport and I just love the way she plays and especially her press conferences and even her presence on Twitter is she's fun. My bright spot was Layla Fernandez. I think her U.S. Open run was incredible. The top names that she took out in three sets. I think her match against Svitolina, where she went 7-6, 7-5 in the third set tiebreaker, was one of the best matches of the year. And she was able to back it up at Indian Wells with some incredible wins against Pavlyuchenkova and Cornet. And I think she can win a slam. And to think that she is still a teenager, so young, and has so much potential, has such a great family, looked bomb at the Met Gala, and honestly, can't wait to see what she does next year. I love variety at the top, right? We love diversity. Here we go. I love Ans Jabor. I loved that Danielle Collins got those back-to-back titles this year. I love that summer run. I've been a big Danielle Collins fan for a while. And, you know, to to have her kind of, she wanted those titles so badly. It was one of my very first episodes we did. And being able to talk through that and say, you know what, my goal is to win a title and, and see her through that. It was a lot of fun. And I loved Jess Pagula kind of being consistently at the top. And it was just great. I loved uh, also Barbara Krajcikova. I mean, that French Open run to me, I'm a, I'm a fan. Like I loved it. I mean, the variety she's going to be, we talked about it. She's going to be a hall of fame one day. She won another WTA championship title doubles title today. I know she didn't have the tournament and singles that she wanted to, but I think the dedication is there next year. And I think we're going to see her consistently stay at the top next year in singles. So can we talk ATP for a minute? I mean, we had some interesting newcomers this year. Her cuts and Sinner in Miami were 
you know, a, a strange final for somewhere like Miami to have. Uh, Sebastian Corda won his first title as well this year in Parma. Casper Ruud, five titles this year, finished at number eight in the world. I mean, we had so many great new names. Carlos Alcaraz, I mean, come on, guys. This is a future number one. This is this is going to be very cool. So did anyone have any thoughts about the men this year? Any great new names that they will be following into next season? I will say for Yannick Sinner to replace Berrettini and absolutely dominate in his home crowd was incredible to witness. Alcaraz, for sure. He was so fun to watch in that next-gen ATP. But I'm just happy Andy Murray is playing well again and back in the mix. He's my favorite. He probably always will be till he retires. He's made of vibranium. He's like a Marvel character. His hip is new. His hip is new. Give me the old guys. I want all the old guys at the top. Playing well again. <laughs> Way to tie that into the... <laughs> Miles, who's your who's your guy, ATP player to watch for next season? I know he's not necessarily new because people have been talking about him for a while, and I know he has yet to break the seal. It's actually Felix Haji Eliassime. I know he hasn't won an ATP title yet, okay. but the quarterfinals of Wimbledon this season and the semifinals of the U.S. Open lets me know that he's working towards something bigger, and he's working with he's not he's not my uncle, but everybody calls him Uncle Tony. Um, I think that has to be something that yields good results because he seems like the kind of moldable, just good kid that Uncle Tony can really put some good energy into, and hopefully we see him even deeper at the slams and finally winning a uh, not a Grand Slam that'd be nice too, but finally winning an ATP title next year. I think so. I mean, for sure. I root for Felix. You know, we love that generation of players that you really want to root for. He has that star quality that you just want to see succeed. So yeah, I'm I'm team Felix all the way, 100%. Um, and Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul just won a tournament. That made me happy too. Yeah, there's so many, a lot of great things. You know, Americans need need some new blood in there too. Nakashima. So it was, it was great to see that. Francis Tiapo yeah. doing really well. Taylor Fritz doing really well. Nakashima. Yeah. You know, the future looks bright for American tennis a little bit. I mean, maybe not at the top, but we're we're kind of inching back up, inching back up. All right, guys, let's go on to the next category today. Jonah, you're back up on the board. What do we got? Wow, I got to go with Ash Barty absolutely dominating Wimbledon this year. That is our number 10 on the countdown today. Yes, maybe she's not the most celebrated number one in WTA history, but I am a huge Ash Barty fan. I love what she did this year. Honestly, guys, Wimbledon title. She won the most titles out of anybody on the WTA tour, five titles. She was the prize money leader, points leader, like her or not. I love the game style. She's been around. Her story is amazing from her time off of tour. I think she's super cool. Every player that's been on my show loves Ash Barty. So I would love to meet her one day. She just seems like somebody you want to hang with and get a beer with. And I love that there's somebody like that as a number one. But what do you think, Jonah? Why do you love Ash so much? I like Ash because she is extremely respectful. I think having beaten Shelby Rogers five times, then lose to her on the sixth time, you could have been a little upset, <laughs> uh, especially when the entire crowd was against you and you had so many chances to win that match. But she was so gracious. She also just had an incredible year winning so many titles starting. Uh, I mean, she was the favorite to win the Australian Open. And even when she didn't, she was able to have an incredible run at so many tournaments this year. You know, I always tend to call her I hope this doesn't like it, it can be a bad thing, but sometimes it can be a little shady depending on how you look at it. I call her my really good scoop of vanilla ice cream. Like you really can't go wrong with it. Everybody thinks it's really sweet. Like there aren't that many people that are going to contest you if you bring out a really good bowl of it because everybody enjoys, at least in their 
base of their favorite dish or something is some vanilla ice cream. So what she lacks in, I guess, kind of natural pop or marketing, she makes up in a very feverish love for the sport that you can kind of tangibly see. And I think as long as she still like has that love for the sport and really gets along with her team and just enjoys what she's doing, she's probably going to be at the top of the women's game for a long time. She just seems like, you know, I love tennis and I'm, I'm really good at it. So let's, let's keep it going. I think her weapon is probably how steady she is and how consistent she is. Then that's not like a wow. There's no wow factor about her, really. Uh, there's no one big weapon. There's nothing that like, oh, I got to watch this other than she's, you know, super steady. Which we need. And we'll stick with it. So let's move on. Thank you, Ash Barty, for being number one for three years in a row. All right, John, you're next. What's uh, the next category we're going to talk about today? Djokovic not getting vaccinated. Go. Let's see if Djokovic is on the board today. He is. Let's talk about Novak. His quest for a Golden Slam this year was definitely a top of conversation. We talk about Novak's legacy within our friend group and with a tennis fan group. And we know that obviously he's not as beloved as, say, uh, a Federer or Nadal. And I read a great John Wertheim article, and he writes for Sports Illustrated in his mailbag, and he describes Novak's lack of universal fan support. He wrote something that I thought was very interesting. He said, he lacks consistency. He's capable of unassailably awesome acts of kindness and also indefensible lapses. And I found that really interesting because he's right. I mean, I think there's all this goodness in him, and he wants the fans to love him so much, and he's such an amazing tennis player. But he does some things that turn off fans in general. So it's hard to really cheer for him and kind of see him through GOAT status. So I I know you don't love him, John, but as far as Novak this year in his quest for this golden slam, where were you? Were you were you cheering for him along the way or were you hoping that he would fall off the wagon somewhere? I used to like him more before COVID. I just think his platform that he has did so much damage to so many people around the world and what they thought about the vaccine and and, and is still currently doing to this day. But as far as tennis goes, I thought it would have been incredible for the sport if he would have achieved that. And I thought that would have been great. I wish it would have been in the hands of someone else, but I, I would have been happy for the sport if he did it. I personally haven't been a fan since 2008, personally, just because I don't enjoy him or watching him and I find him really selfish. But why though? But why selfish? Okay. So the the word is selfish. I found him very selfish. I find him, I think this year was a perfect encapsulation of his selfishness. I think the Adria tour last year was very selfish. I think the fact that he is so anti-vax in his own personal beliefs and has not been afraid to announce that and to be such a public figure and to have that kind of, I don't know, if you're a public figure, you shouldn't be very careful with the words you say to the public. And I feel as though he has not backed up certain statements with science to a point where it can be very dangerous. Yeah. And I think this too, I think this part too is that you have two of the most beloved sports figures of all time in Rafa and Roger. And then you have <laughs> kind of the disruptor come in and take uh, what would have been theirs. And that made the well developed fan base not like him. He's the bad guy in a lot of people's stories. Miles, this year, Novak dominated all year long. He won three Grand Slams, he won Belgrade. 
He won the Paris Indoor. He lost to Nadal in the Italian Open final. That was fun to see that rivalry. He lost his Zverev at the Olympics in his quest for gold in the semifinals. Lost that bronze medal match against Pablo Carina Busta. Then he did something for me that was unforgivable. He withdrew from my favorite mixed doubles event. Oh, you were mad about that. Of the year. You wait for this all for four years and you finally are going to get Ash Barty versus Novak Djokovic in a mixed doubles match for a medal. And he withdraws. And poor Stoyanovic. I mean, it goes to Jonah's point, though, that he's mildly to maybe severely uh, selfish as a person. And that's his persona. That's what's come off over the years. And his play style for me has never been one that makes me want to turn on my television. Like, it's kind of like watching the, the character that's put into the video games that just gets the job done at the bare minimum, but some kind of way everybody struggles against him. So he's just not the guy that makes mm-hmm. me want to get up off of my feet and cheer the same way that Rafa and Roger do. He's just not that guy. But there's four big tennis fans on this call right now. Do we think he's the greatest ATP player of all time? Yeah, if the, if you go by the numbers, then it's kind of hard to... Yeah, if that matters. And it's crazy. You know, the four of us are collectively sighing because Novak is the best of all time and we're just not excited about it. And that's something the PR team needs to really fix because it, he could be just... Yes. We could, he could be glorified, right? And we just aren't on board. It's just so strange. It's I'll never understand. I think it's because the, that's the point is that he is trying to fix it. And everything is, he does is very effortful. So he's trying to be well-liked. So he does all the, you know, the shows and whatever to make people like him instead of just being who he is and letting people like him. And I think that's what turns people off. Okay. So he comes out with a statement next week and says, I just got vaccinated. I'm going to Australia. If he tweets that, are we, are we saying, okay. Yeah. Damage is definitely done, but it's, I always say it's never too late to change your mind. Okay. And I hope, but say why and go overboard on why you're wrong. And then I'll, you know, maybe watch a match of yours. Well, the mystery of Novak Djokovic will continue to plague him his whole career, it sounds. So we'll see. Maybe we'll talk about Novak next year, too. We'll see how he does. You know, alas, we'll, we'll continue. All right. We're next up. Jonah, we're back to you. What do we think? I got to go with Fed's tumultuous year, the surgeries and getting bageled by Hubert at Wimbledon. <laughs> it's not ideal. Let's see if Roger Federer made our board today. Legends and their legacy is on the board. So let's talk about Roger. And absolutely, I mean, he was a big story this year, but not just Roger, Serena, Venus, so many people. Serena turned 40 this year. She played five events, guys. Australian Open final, fourth round of the French Open, losing to Rabakina. (laughs) She played three clay events. She was suited up for the clay. She was ready to to play the French. Then at Wimbledon, we all saw that absolutely horrible three-all in the first round match with Sasnovich and everyone's heart sunk. It was absolutely terrible. I was actually on a call with Denara Safina during that match and we timed out to kind of watch it together. And she was just like, this is unbelievable. I feel so terrible. I mean, everyone around the world collectively felt horrible. Venus turned 41. She's currently 314 in the world. I mean, your heart sinks when you see that next to a legend like Venus Williams's name. She played eight events. She won two matches in Australia and Wimbledon this year. And that Irani match in Australia for me was probably, I had tears in my eyes watching that match. It was, watching her finish that match was one of my highlights of the whole year. It was 
amazing for me. I mean, it just solidified why I love her so much. And for me, I'll finish up here and then I'll let you guys give your thoughts. But Kleister's, you know, we had her, she's 38. She had two matches that she played this year. It wasn't really the impact that we thought Kim Kleister's were going to have when she decided to make her third comeback. And then Roger, he turned 40. He played five of tournaments this year. That fourth round walkover at the French was was pretty sad. Made the quarters at Wimbledon. He lost to Hercotch. He made the semifinals in Melbourne. And then today he says, don't look out for me until maybe the summer of 2022. So we're not going to see Roger for some time. And he said, probably not Wimbledon either. So it's um, it's just a bummer when you think of these legends that we're so used to having. And yeah, we have to get used to these new top players on tour, this new generation of players. So Miles, what, what were your thoughts on not having those names as part of the mix this year? Womp, womp, womp. Yeah. That's that's how it feels, you know? I mean, especially with Serena, Venus, Roger, and Rafa, they make up so much of my tennis memory and like my tennis history bank is so much rooted in them. I, I kind of still feel like that fan that feels that each of them have one like golden moment in the sun left in them just because it would be only fitting because they've given so much for the sport and, and made it grow so much that they would have to go out on top. But then you see Venus's ranking, you see what happened to Serena at Wimbledon. It's a little bit off-putting, but you know, I'm still gonna I'm still gonna kind of put my chest up high and hope that all four of them have a way that they can say goodbye to tennis in a way that feels just in a way that feels like fitting for the careers that they have. You never know. I think there's still room for like a Pete Sampras send-off for a couple of them, maybe, possibly. Uh, I hope so. Jonah, Rafa's 35. He's the youngest of all of them that we mentioned. He had a great season. He won Barcelona. He won Rome this year. He lost in the semifinals of the French to Novak. He's, he's still playing some great tennis. I mean, I personally have never been a tennis fan before where those names have not been a part of the conversation. It's different. It's not like I don't like it. I love the current batch of players that are vying for Grand Slams that are competitive. But the thing with a long offseason, like a, like a two-month offseason, players can train and come back in Australia. I think if Serena can come back as strong as she was last year, she has a chance to have a great Australian summer. Uh, with Rafa, I think he's practicing a lot more, and I think he also has a great chance to have a great Australian summer, too. Well, we're missing the fifth name, and this fifth name is one of John Sloan's favorites. So I, I'd like your thoughts on Andy Murray. Quietly, Andy Murray at 34 puts together 16 events this season, John. So he says, hey, don't forget about me. I know we don't have Roger and Rafa and Venus and Serena, but he plays a pretty consistent year. He battled himself into form. He beat Yannick Sinner in Stockholm to end the season for him. On an interesting note, where do we think someone like Andy Murray can really impact the tour next year? Look, hips don't lie, baby. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was low-hanging fruit. Look, if the will is there, I, and it seems like it is, I mean, he can make a run. John, you blew my mind. He's played 16 events this this season? Yeah, right, right, right. That was a big deal. Wow. You know, Andy's looking sitting pretty. It'd be cool if his mom coached him a little bit on some tournaments too. That would be cool. Yeah, he's like, hey, I'm still around, guys. I know, I know, I know. As far as our goodbyes this year, I mean, we're talking about the legends and I do always get sad at the end of the year because we do say goodbye to some great names. This past season, we said goodbye to seven foot eight <laughs> Ivo Karlovich. He retired. He played forever. We had Carlos Suarez Navarro have a very heartfelt goodbye at the Billie Jean King Cup. 
Kiki Burton say goodbye as well this year. So, you know, there were some players that that ended their career early and we still have these great legends like Venus wow. and Roger and Serena still around in their 40s. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Australia and Open, who knows? Serena was just on a talk show this past week and said, I'm getting ready for Australia, guys. Good. So there we go. Let's do it, right? All right. Well, it's time for our next award, Miles. And we're going to go for, this one is a fun one always. It's the award for best Twitter beef of the year. And there were some good ones, guys. There were some really good ones this season. Miles, what was your favorite Twitter beef between players this year? I really enjoyed, even though I don't think Sitsipas really was on Twitter firing back, I really enjoyed the Andy Murray versus Stefano Sitsipas's bladder. That whole incident, I, I really enjoyed <laughs> Andy Murray's, speaking of him, like we were just, we just were talking about him. His sense of um, sarcasm and wit is going to make for a really good tennis pundit one day. So hopefully he kind of keeps that up. <laughs> I have the tweet. He says, fact of the day, it takes Stefano Sitsipas twice as long to go to the bathroom as it takes Jeff Bezos to fly into space. Interesting. So I love Mesa Andy Murray. I had two that I was thinking about. When we started the year, I loved the Yelena Putin Seva rats in the room. Remember that whole fiasco? And yeah. she kept talking about it's horrible that I'm trapped in this hotel room for two weeks and there's no way I can possibly prepare for a grand slam. And then Renee Stubbs, who we all love kind of gives it back to her and says, hey, you're getting $100,000 for being there. Yulia kind of quipped back a little bit, but I'm going to go with actually mm. Nick Kyrgios versus Casper Ruud. I love that one. I love Nick versus anybody. <laughs> they had beef all year long. It was actually quite funny. And I quote again, a Nick Kyrgios, he said, I'd rather watch paint dry than watch Rude play tennis. And I thought that was very that is funny. So rude. I don't know. I mean, it is so rude. Uh, maybe <laughs> not as funny. I do like Casper Rude. But then Rude commented back because he quipped back and he said, there was this ATP. They fielded a question for Nick Kyrgios and they said, are there any questions for Nick Kyrgios? And then he says, hey, Nick, what's your favorite clay court tournament? Question mark. And I thought, oh, okay, this is fun. It's like, uh, it wasn't so jugular, but it was a little, it just was funny to me. So I don't know. All right. Who's next up? Okay. Well, this is, uh, may go a little dark, but um, where is Peng Shui? Where the F is Peng Shui? It's number two on the board for sure. Yeah. Let's, let's get serious for a minute because I know this is, you know, we're very lighthearted. We love tennis. I love Peng Shui. I've, you know, I've been a fan for a long time and I've, you know, she's a grand, grand slam champion, former number one. We need to talk about this. It needs yeah. to stay in the media. So if you don't know what I'm talking about immediately after this Google and hashtag on Twitter, where is Peng Shui? Google this story. It is horribly devastating. It centers on China's Me Too movement and it talks about censorship and God forbid something more grave because we still have not seen her or, or had a statement directly from her. About two weeks ago, she accused a former high-ranking government official of sexual misconduct, which was highly disturbing. And she said she was allegedly forced to have sex in his Beijing apartment. The post was taken down. No follow-up from Peng. No comments from the accused. This past Sunday, the WTA came out with a statement. And then WTA chairman Steve Simon told the New York Times that Chinese Tennis Association had assured him that Peng was in Beijing, safe and under no physical threat. But still to this day, we still have not had something active from her. Hence the Twitter hashtag, where is Peng Shui? And we've had people like Naomi Osaka who came out. We've had Nicholas Mahout and Elise Cornet and Chris Everett and Novak even came out and said something about it. And the world is waiting. We're just left. And it's devastating and sad. I really can't wrap my head around it, but at its core, 
she really should be safe. And I, I hate that what she had to come forward and say happened to her. I really do. We all want her to be safe. You know, like that's the end of the day. We want her to be safe and we want justice for what she's had to go through. Jonah, mind blown with this. I mean, this is just like insane, right? It, it just is so painful to see. First off, I just have been following the story for now for a, a few days and it felt as though for a few days, her story was not really getting through to mainstream media when it should have. It should have been the front story a week ago, but it felt like not until Naomi kind of said something on her Twitter and used the hashtag, where is Peng Shui? Did it feel like, oh, wow, E! News picked it up. Just Jared picked it up. Wow. This is like getting somewhere. People are actually talking about it, bringing this up. I mean, this is, you can't even imagine the horror what she might be going through. All you can do is just really kind of hope for a, a, a safe return of, of Peng Shui, wherever she is. John, the WTA has a partnership with China and Shenzhen is scheduled to host the WTA finals from 2022 all the way to 2030. And Simon did come out and say, at the end of the day, if we don't see the results that we want, we would be prepared to not operate our business in China if it comes to that. As of right now, we're live and still this has been a week. We haven't heard anything. What do you think the WTA should be doing right now? Are they doing enough? Can we do more as a fan culture? Everyone listening right now? I would hope that maybe uh, not that she is on the level of Britney Spears, but I mean, I, I have a strong belief that her fans did something to propel I don't know, public understanding of what Britney was going through. So maybe the more people that talk about it, I guess it has to happen in China though, right? I mean, I think Steve Simon, the CEO of WTA, um, said that the China arm of the WTA accounts for, I think, a third of all revenue for women's tennis, which is unbelievable. But I I said today about it, I said it, it is literally big brother. This is big brother realized. And I think you know, none of us live in China, so we don't think about it, but uh, they must go through this thought process every single day of they're not allowed to say X, Y, and Z. And I, I hate this for her. Mm-hmm. Censorship, uh, Me Too movement. I mean, there's so much going on here. It's so much to unpack. I feel like we could talk about this for a very long time. So I'm glad we get to talk about it in this forum too. And again, if you're listening out there, continue the hashtag until we hear from her. You know, we all are, are totally. going to remain positive until, you know, we hear something. I mean, I, I think. We love her and, um, you know, God forbid anything happens. So the number two story right now of the year, and it's growing, you know, a week from now, it could be number one. So yeah, absolutely. Jonah, we're back on the board. What's our next topic today? We have a few more left. There's a big one still out there. We got four and five. Um, I got to say something in regards to the ATP starting a case open against Alex Varev. We haven't talked about Alex Varev, actually. I mean, that's... um. Yes, we're, he's on the board. Yeah, no, Zverev for sure. I mean, it was interesting in general. <laughs> we all know the, the backstory. Uh, he was accused of physical and emotional abuse by an ex-girlfriend. She gave an interview for Racket Magazine and Slate.com, and she said that she was scared for her life. And the account was pretty violent. And interestingly enough, I mean, you had Zverev playing Nicolas Bazasvili in the third round of the Olympics, and he's also standing an accusation from an ex-wife. So really, the outrage came from the ATP releasing a statement, and obviously they condemned any type of physical or emotional abuse. But Andy Murray came out and said there should be guidelines and there should be some type of parameters when it came to launching some type of domestic abuse policy. So, you know, he's been in the media all for the past, pretty much the entire season. John, what do you think about Zverev? Uh, Man, that's tough. Uh, Yeah. 
Hey, hey, hey. I give you the tough ones. I like. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I want to like him too, but I just don't. I mean, I like what Andy had to say about it. And uh, there definitely should be guidelines. And I have a hard time believing that it's never happened before. But I just have a hard time believing that a woman would just make that up just to hurt someone. And I don't know. What does she have to gain from it? Really? She's gotten so much negative attention about it too. And I don't think anybody would put themselves through that emotionally just to get back at somebody. I I believe her and I hate that this has happened and there really does need to be rules in place um, from here, from this point on. What is, what is that saying that Peter Parker from Spider-Man, I think his, his grandfather said with great power comes great responsibility or something to that effect. I think it's a little bit of twofold. I don't think anybody in the public eye, tennis player or not, is going to be capable of having like a squeaky clean image all the time because we're all human. However, if you're accused of doing something that is against the law, like domestic abuse against your significant other or spouse, you should be held accountable to it regardless of what your resources are or what your status is in the world. And I know it, it has to add insult to injury, especially for Zverev's counterpart who who came out with these allegations to see him winning at the rate that he's winning and coming home with millions and millions of dollars. I don't think in a normal format, if this was a guy that had a nine to five, if he had legitimate, credible accusations over his head or charges like Vili, he wouldn't necessarily be able to just go back to work and make his high salary like Zverev is making going from country to country to country. So I think the ATP really needs to kind of show its hand a little bit more and definitely not allow him to be so just cavalier. He just seems like, I think that's part of the culture Jonah was talking about. I think these guys feel like, where nothing's really going to happen to me. So I'm still going to make money. I'm still going to be able to go to, to beautiful countries and I can do and say what I want. And yeah, I might get some Twitter trolls, but for the most part, nothing's really going to happen to me. If the ATP doesn't really do anything, they're going to keep on having to deal with this backlash, unfortunately. Well, looking, obviously, the ATP has a problem on its hand because at this point, you have Zverev, who is the Olympic gold medalist, being accused of something. Bazzusvili is a top player. You also, let's not forget... Nick Kyrgios just went through some some very public drama with his ex-girlfriend as well on Instagram, and she published a lot of text messages. She accused him of a lot of things as well. So to John's point, absolutely, and to Andy's point, really, there needs to be some type of domestic abuse kind of policy. But we're far from done from this topic, and I, you know, I hate that it's going to bleed over to 2022, but you know, we're not done. And I think a lot of it has to be addressed. And We'll see where we go. I mean, I, I hopefully there's a justice system and we'll see what happens. But um, let's get to an award. Let's brighten this up a little bit. <laughs> I hate talking about stuff like that. It's so sad. We've had a couple in a row now. There's been some really some sad points this year, you know, in the year. But let's talk about some good stuff. The Olympics were a bright spot. I want to talk about it. And this next award from Miles and I, we're giving out the Olympic Spirit Award. And it's our very favorite moment from the 2020 Tokyo Games. So think about it, guys. I want to hear both of yours as well. But I'm giving mine to Didi DeGroot because it allowed her to win the Golden Slam this year. And I had her on the show and I loved getting to talk about it. And we don't talk enough about wheelchair tennis. And we talked a lot about the mental health of Novak and trying to win a Golden Slam or even win the Grand Slam. And she did it. She won the Golden Slam this year in tennis. And I thought that was just so awesome. So I'm giving my my props to Didi DeGroote. Miles, who are you giving yours to? I think I'd be remiss not to give my props to Belinda Bencic because... Can we time out for one second? Didn't 
didn't Belinda Benchich block you on Twitter? Yes, she did. <laughs> whoa, whoa, I want this story. Go. I I thought we were besties until the resties, but apparently we're not. So what did you do to Belinda Benchich? Gold medalist Belinda Benchich. I mean, I feel like that gives me a little props too at the same time. But anyway, she was kind of in the mix when the whole Alexander Zverev situation happened. She was one of the people that kind of stuck up for him despite the allegations being very, very serious. Right, and right. it was just like, oh, my friend would never do something like that. That was kind of her first strike. I didn't say anything then. The second time was when Osaka came out with her motion to not want to do press. Belinda Benchich's response to press was very much so, oh, Osaka does things all the time for just to be in the talk. And at that point, she, oh, I think it was at Wimbledon, actually, the Wimbledon tune-up event. She had lost two of her finals. So I think I tweeted Belinda Benchich just caught a little bit of karma in losing both of her finals this year for two bad public PR statements. And lo and behold, I got blocked. But I never mentioned her actual Twitter name. So I think she had to search her name. So maybe she just wanted some beef with me. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe. (laughs) Causing beef? I should have nominated you. I had no idea. Now I know. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay, Belinda. We can still be friends. John, Jonah, Olympics, were they a disappointment? Did you love them this year? Was it what we were hoping for? No, my bright spot for the Olympics was uh, Naomi having the torch. Yeah, that was great. What a great moment, right? So great. How about one more? You know, Miles, we agreed on this one. So I'll just announce it right now. We both had the same answer for this one. This was an easy one too. Guys, what do you think won for best social media photo? It's pretty easy. Oh, I know this one. <laughs> Duh. It's yeah, right? What is it? Can I say it? Yes. It, it has to be when Maria took a picture with Venus and Serena at the Met Gala. Of course it was. Venus, Serena, Maria at the Met Gala. That photo was a fly on the wall. That, Man. I mean, come on. <laughs> To be in the bathroom with those three, that was cool. That was a good photo. All right. Well, we're back on the board. Let's go, John Sloan. We got a couple left. Medvedev winning his first Grand Slam. Uh, Let's see if it's on the board. Oh, no, it's not on the board. Jonah, you're up next. Oh, man. Uh, maybe a, a disappointing city pass year where he made, you know, a grand slam final, but then wasn't able to find the form after. <laughs> John, what do we got? What are we thinking? Back to you. We got a big one up there. Number four. Give me a hint. A huge story. Huge. I can give you a hint, John. We, we've talked about it. Can I give him a hint? Can I have him a hint? For sure you can. Okay. We're all friends here. You, Go men- for it. you mentioned her earlier. She's very honest. She's very honest. Um, she's very honest. <laughs> oh, Ons, Jabor? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, it's on the board. It's number nine. We're on number nine today. All right, let's talk about that one. And, and really, it's a quick one. And I wanted to, and I thought it was interesting that making a point that Ons Jabor is the very first person, male or female person, period, of Arabic descent to become a top 10 player. And I thought that was really great, but it was really about the new countries emerging as well, because we talked about Kasper Ruud. He's now the face of Norwegian tennis. Clara Tossen, thank goodness you have somebody carrying the torch for Wozniacki as well, because, you know, Danish tennis lives well now, but also Kontavid in Estonia, you had a South Korean player as well. Son Woo Kwan, he's 53 in the world. So some interesting countries that kind of made their way to the top 50-ish. I thought. I think even Ons is just so much more impressive because she represents a whole different people group, the planet that haven't been represented before. And I think that's incredible. Agreed. Jonah, you're next. We have four and seven. We have two left today as we wrap up this amazing year-end discussion. There are two major topics that we have left on the board to discuss. 
I'm going to go out on a limb here <laughs> and just say the fact that crowds make it a difference the second half of the year. I mean, having Wimbledon crowds was incredible after having such a mostly empty French Open uh, in the evenings and just, uh, you know, finally having an Indian Wells crowd was so great. Even if you know, it wasn't the most crowded tournament, it was great to, you know, have fans back at tournaments. Let's see if crowds are on the board. We'll talk about COVID. Yes, it's on the board. And it was a direct repercussion of, you know, people getting vaccinated. So I thought that was great. And I don't know how much live tennis the three of you saw this year, but live tennis that I saw, it felt special and it felt different this year, knowing that we couldn't be around tennis for as long as we were. So did anyone have any really cool fan moments this year? Did you get to watch any tennis live that was kind of interesting to you? I'd love to hear your stories. Yes. I had a conversation briefly with Sara Saribas Tormo at Indian Wells. I just like saw her walking around and said, Sara, I'm like a huge fan. I love how you play tennis. Your magic in Skerber at Wimbledon was amazing. I have to rewatch that one. That was very cool. Yeah. I mean, Miles, I got to see you at the US Open this year. That was really fun. We watched a fun Sitsipas match. That was uh, a really fun moment. Just kind of being there with friends and just cheering somebody on. And it was um, it was special. It really, really was. It really was. Yeah. I got to see some good tennis this year. What was your US Open experience like? It was my first one. So honestly, like soaking it all in was just an experience. I never forget, like being so close to Francis Tiafo's first round match, seeing Emma Raducanu's first round match. She beat Stephanie Vogelay. But yeah, the US Open was amazing. Amazing. Can we talk about COVID in general? I'd love to, obviously, first and foremost, we started the year on such a strange note. If we remember back to January of 2021, we had all the players descending upon Melbourne and there was obviously some exposure on the plane over. And there were so many players, as we talked about, that had to quarantine for 14 days. And that was how the tennis season started. It started in lockdown. It started in quarantine. And here we are saying goodbye to a crazy 2021 season and about to say hello to a new season. And there's still upheaval in Australia. We don't know what's going to happen. There's so many players that may not play in Australia because of COVID restrictions. And even to the point of this recording, we don't know what's going to happen. So COVID is still wreaking havoc on the tennis world. I mean, we do get some of the fun experiences like fans back in, in action, but let's not forget that we have to continue to get vaccinated. We have to continue to get our booster shots, continue to to make sure that we're being safe and, and we get to see tennis next year too. God forbid something happens and you know we're back to where we were again. So what are your thoughts on vaccinations? And the rate of ATP and WTA players is not as high as you would think. And it's scary to think that we're going to enter a 2022 season without players that we would have normally seen in a year. And we had Nick Kyrgios who came out in the press this past week. He said, and I quote, I would rather see the Australian Open be canceled than needing players to get vaccinated. So interesting sentiment, even from the player side. <laughs> I'm interested to see who doesn't get vaccinated, frankly, or who doesn't go. It titillates me. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I can't wait for the next season to start, but you know, I, I hope it starts on a positive note and there's a lot of education involved in, in how we start the year. So we'll see. All right, Miles, it's time for our last award of the day. We're going to give out our coach of the year. And I think this is a big one. Who's your coach of the year? I really enjoyed Ash Barty's coach, Craig Tizer. Going back to me calling her Vanilla earlier, I really do enjoy the family that she's kind of built, especially when you think about her coach, Craig Tizer, really making the commitment to not go home either because she was away from Australia for so long. But he was on the road just as long and as consistent as she was. 
and for them to have and yield the results that they yielded. The Wimbledon title, continuing being world number one, four or five other titles. I really appreciate just how much he was willing to go in the trenches with her. So yeah, he's my coach of the year. My honorable mention is going to go to former number one, Juan Carlos Ferrero coaching Alcaraz. I mean, that's just remarkable. I I, I love that uh, that partnership makes total sense to me. And I, I really think it'll help him and become number one one day. I really, I really do. But I'm giving number one to another former player. And I thought this was a really interesting partnership and it absolutely succeeded. Dmitry Tursunov coaching Annette Kontavit after Chicago, she lost that match and then all of a sudden, here we go. And we're on this Contavit run. And can we get a score update, by the way? We're in the show. We're, we're, what's the score? Mugu was up 6-3 in the first set. She won the first set 6-3. Garbina. Won all in the second. Oh, so. All right. All right. That's interesting. How fun. Live <laughs> updates. All right. Cool, cool. Any other coaches I'm missing? Sloan or Jonah? Anything else that you were really excited about? Yeah. Conversely, mine's Conchita Martinez. Oh, you took uh, mine. <laughs> for sure. Conchita, come on. Yeah. I mean, Mugu I, on the comeback. Mugu on the comeback. She's going to finish a three in the world again. I think it's a great partnership. I love the idea that uh, a WT super coach exists. So I, I just loved it. I mean, she has really kept Garbinier so focused throughout the year when Garbinier easily could have faltered a few months after the Australian Open, but then instead she wins Dubai. She could have had a really tough clay court season after getting injured in Charleston, but ends up like having a great summer and ends up taking a run, even if it was not you know the biggest run, but losing to Halep in the US Open and then winning Chicago and then finishing three in the world. I think players are so intimidated by her and seeing her just absolutely blossom in Guadalajara has been an absolute treat as a fan of hers. Yeah. She's so professional. You know, Andre Petkovic loves her. And if Andre Petkovic loves you, then also I love you. So that's how that works. Let's go team Garbina. All right, guys. Well, it's our last category. This is it. It's our last topic of the day. And it's a good one to end on. And I'm going to say it's a tie today between our shows because, you know, it's fun, right? I love you. And, you know, there's no winner today. Let's talk about our fourth biggest topic of the year out of a hundred tennis fans that I surveyed, they said Emma Raducanu's wild, wild card run to the Osopa. I know we talked about teenagers and new players, but this run specifically was really big to a lot of players who wants to take the lead on this one. Cause there's a lot to talk about. I'm still digesting it, kind of, sort of. <laughs> when I look at her as a player, I'm like, wow, you won 10 matches to win a Grand Slam when some people can't even put together seven. You did more of the work. And here you are, like, you can't even get your own bottle of alcohol. And the world just seems to be opening up like a rose for you. It's just, I mean, not to use something cliche like rags to riches, but it kind of it kind of gives that kind of a vibe. Because before Wimbledon, I legitimately had no idea who Raducanu was. And like Jonah said earlier, she could couldn't finish her match because of nerves. And we kind of all know how the British press can really put the pressure on someone. And to go from that to a couple weeks later, still not even having won a WTA level match to lifting a Grand Slam trophy. It's kind of I'm, I'm glad I witnessed it as a tennis fan. Honestly, I really am. Exactly how I feel. Guys, she started her year in Nottingham, really playing her first main draw of the year. And that's how we were introduced to Emma Raducanu. And then she gets the wild card at Wimbledon and, you know, and now we've heard of her. So it's, it's pretty great. John, where do we think Emma can go from here? I know the press has been so all over her and she did end up playing a couple of tournaments at the end of the year, not doing so well, but you know, the expectation is so high for her at this point, winning a U.S. Open title as a wild card. 
What do we think? I mean, do we think that she can surround herself with people that can put her in a good place, like a Conchita Martinez? I mean, Corbin Belt, yeah. I mean, once I saw her play, I was, you know, I'm all right. Maybe this uh, Wimbledon showing is in a flash in the pan. And then, you know, she took it by storm. She's going to do so well because that girl is going to make so much money. I mean, crazy money. She's beautiful. She speaks. Doesn't she speak Mandarin? Yeah. And Romanian. She is literally. And now she's, she's speaking money now too. Oh, totally. (laughs) She's speaking Bitcoin. (laughs) She's got it all. She's speaking Twitter followers. She's speaking. She can hire hire whoever she wants to be her coach and they'll, she's going to win a bunch of majors. It's just something about like the teenage dream of it all. I think it's really easy to get encapsulated into Raducanu's story. Mm -hmm. And like, like John was saying, she speaks so many languages. She speaks to a whole different generation Z of people. I can imagine the people that we don't even know yet. They're going to be like, I watched Raducanu's run and I picked up a racket or I bought her skirt or something like that, you know? But there's something Sharapova-esque to Raducanu's run. I do think her next season is going to be a little bit of a stutter step because Sharapova won in 04 and she didn't win again. She didn't win another Grand Slam until 2006. So there was a little bit of a gap where she was adjusting to the fame. I think Raducanu is going to have to deal with an adjustment period a little yeah, bit. Totally. So I don't think we're going to see her in the final in Australia or Roland Garros. It'll be a little while until we see her play that level of free spirited tennis again, I think. When Sloan won the U.S. Open, she lost eight matches in a row, like back to back to back. Panetta, too, if you look at that. I mean, Krejcikova had a great... So she won another tournament after that, I believe, too. So she didn't have that letdown. But, well, guys, we got through the board. There were so many great topics from this past year. I do wonder, as we look towards next year, we can end on a positive note. I'd love to hear from each of you as we wrap up today what we're looking forward to the most for 2022. I'll start with my good buddy, John Sloan. What do you, what do you hope for this next season brings us the most drama? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. You want some, I want rivalries. I want to love players. I want to hate players. Like I want to Kim Kleister's Justine in a rivalry again, you know, something of that magnitude. I want drama on court, off court, bring it all. Jonah, what do you want next year? I want to see some injured players that have missed most of this year make a really strong run at some tournaments. And I'm talking like Monica Puig, Eugenie Bouchard. Yeah, Joanna Conta, you know, Conja had a great comeback this year too. She Absolutely. Could be, she could win comeback player of the year. We saw a great story like on a Conja coming back this year. So yeah, I love that. Definitely. You know, Monica Puig is currently training just down uh, the road from me. So I, I definitely love her. And I think her 2016 gold medal run will like nothing will beat how inspiring that was. Was pretty great. Miles, what do you hope for for next season? I just want seven match wins in a row from Serena Williams. Oh, yeah. My God, of course. I don't care if it's at Roland Garros, Wimbledon, U.S. Open. I really want to see her tie Margaret Court's records. We can kind of just push that aside and act like it never happened. Or if I want to be really picky, I want to see her break it. But I definitely want to see her back in a final of a Grand Slam so I can feel all the feels Mm -hmm. again. I'm a huge fan and I, I just want them to go out the way they want to. You know, injuries are so terrible. We've seen it so many times with players like... I was a huge Mary Pierce fan and to see her end like she did, I mean, you know, like a Monica Seles retiring at the French Open and not playing again, a Capriati with shoulder injuries. I mean, I just, I I hope that Serena and Venus go out together. I hope that they go out on top and I hope they go out happy. And and same with Roger, you know, it's looking less and less likely that Roger's really going to have a, a great 2022 season now and who knows what's going to happen for him. But next year will be a lot of loose ends that are tied up 
with those legends. And I, uh, I hope we all can look back and say, huh, you know, what a, what a great point that we got to. And like Jonah said, you know, I don't really know tennis without those players. So all right, guys, that's all we have for today. I want to thank Miles. Thank you so much for joining today. I'm glad we got to play doubles today and our pods got to meet each other. This was fun. I definitely thank my good friends that have been on the show many times. And, and I appreciate you both so much. Jonas Sobel, John Sloan, appreciate your thoughts and your opinions. And thanks for listening to the show. If you follow us on Fantastic Tennis Pod on Twitter or on Instagram, also please follow Missing Point Pod to the point, right? Missing Point Pod. <laughs> <laughs> right, guys, I'm John Garika. It's been a great time with you guys, and I look forward to our next episode. So this has been fantastic. Wasn't that a fantastic episode? A fantastic show? I think it was. I had a bunch of fun listening back to it. I had a bunch of fun while we recorded. It was just everything that I imagined it would be. And I'm so grateful for John for thinking of me and collabing in this episode with me. He is doing absolutely incredible things. Again, I'm happy to call him a friend in this tennis podcast world. If you're not following the Fantastic Tennis Podcast, hosted by John, make sure you head over to Instagram and follow at Fantastic Tennis Pod. Also, while you're there, make sure if you're not already following, follow the Missing the Point podcast at Missing Point Pod. If you enjoyed what you heard in today's episode, please do check us out on all social media, social networking platforms at Missing Point Pod, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, like I said, Clubhouse even. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new episodes. Review the show wherever you listen to it on your favorite platform because that does help us grow. Click on the podcast description for more information on how you can support the podcast. I really would appreciate that. Feel free to buy me a coffee. It's what I use when I edit episodes and just in general what I enjoy during this holiday season, especially a good latte. <laughs> if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to send it to missingpointpod at gmail.com. Until next time, guys, take care, have a good week, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you.